Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we're thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is approximately 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get important information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing crucial legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other important stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of those issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome. This is Mike Kelbert, the Legal One Coordinator for Online Course Development, and welcome to the Legal One Podcast. The Legal One Podcast is something that the Legal One team of school law experts offers. Each episode is hosted by a Legal One attorney or an attorney working in partnership with Legal One, and the format includes legal analysis and commentary and interviews with key stakeholders. One of the keys to this is that while we're offering legal information, it is not legal advice. While I am an attorney, we do not have an attorney-client relationship. So this is legal information and not legal advice. We're going to talk today in this particular podcast on gifted and talented education in New Jersey, understanding the legal requirements, because gifted and talented education has really grown in terms of interest in the last three years. And the primary vehicle that has created the increased interest in gifted education was the passage of New Jersey's Strengthening Gifted and Talented Education Act, which was Public Law 2019, Chapter 338. It was enacted on January 13, 2020, and became effective in July 1, 2020. We have just passed the three-year anniversary of that bill, and so let's take a look at it and see what changed. What the Strengthening Gifted and Talented Act did was it established a state-level coordinator for gifted and talented services. We never had one of those before. It required school districts to file a report every three years on various aspects of gifted education in the school district. That was new. It indicated that the district must set forth a complaint process if a parent or someone else felt that the district was not providing the gifted services it should. That has to be set in the school district's policy and posted on the school district's website. And there was a lot of gifted and talented information that was also required to be on the school district's website. One of the first areas to talk about here in the, in the new law was that it includes a definition of gifted and talented student and what instructional adaptations will be for students who are gifted. A point to be made here before we go forward, gifted and talented students are identified in every district. The general percentage is somewhere between five to eight percent of the student population. I'll contrast that with about 15 percent for special education students. And these are not just the smart kids who can be, do fine all by themselves. It's also there are kids who have certain definitive educational needs. They think and learn differently. And I'm going to repeat this, this is important. They are found in every school district in New Jersey. We sometimes will hear from administrators or parents that, well, everybody in our district is gifted. Well, you'll see that's just not true. Or none of our students here are gifted. Well, that's not true either because as we'll talk about, it's a local norm determination. 
The new law also ensures identification, equal access, services, instructional adaptations, and curriculum modifications, grades K through 12. That is not new. That's been in New Jersey administrative code since around 2006, but it really has gotten a heightened awareness because of it's now in law. It's now in something passed by the legislature. And if there's an area when you talk to people in different districts where we probably are not doing as good a job as we should be with gifted education, and that's the K to 12 spectrum. Finding kindergarten programs in gifted is few and far between, especially those of quality. And people are talking about high school education programming for gifted, and that needs a lot of development work as well. The law also requires that in developing your gifted program in district, each district should consider the National Association for Gifted Children programming standards. They don't have to adopt them, but they have to consider them. They also have to consider, and this is new, NJNAGC's white papers and position statements on gifted as well. So all of that information from the National Association of Gifted Children should be considered by in each district as they develop their gifted and talented program. The new law also supports professional development for teachers of gifted, which is something that has been an administrative code again since 2006. I'd like to talk about the definition of what the New Jersey Administrative Code in 6A8 and the statute now at 18A35-35 includes with respect to a definition of what exactly a gifted and talented student is. And this definition reads pretty, pretty quickly. Students who possess or demonstrate high levels of ability in one or more content areas, it doesn't have to be all, when compared with their chronological peers in the local school district. I'm gonna repeat that because that's important. When compared with their chronological peers in the local school district, it is a local norm, not a state norm, not a national norm, not a regional norm. Each school district is going to have a comparison among the chronological peers in that district. And these are students who will require modifications in their educational program if they are to achieve in accordance with their capabilities. So it's a local determination, which means there is no one standard that fits gifted and talented identification of students throughout the state. There are criteria to consider, there are programming identification processes to consider, but like much else in New Jersey public education, it is a locally determined curriculum, it is a locally determined identification process, but you need to have one that covers grades K to 12. I mentioned the fact that the, the new legislation created a coordinator of gifted and talented services in the Department of Ed. This is an individual who has teaching and specialized knowledge in gifted and talented education. Breaking news, on January 23rd, not less than a month ago, the coordinator, Leslie Franks McRae, who had been the coordinator for three years, has been replaced by Crystal Siniari. Crystal is part of the Office of Standards because they moved Gifted and Talented from the Office of Supplemental Ed Services to the Office of Standards. And with that movement, Leslie Franks McRae and Sierra Bielin, with whom we've worked for the last three years and we've done a terrific job in fostering gifted and talented education issues at the state level, they were reassigned to other duties and we have a new person coming in, Crystal Siniari. Now, it's less than a month. They are figuring out just exactly how they're gonna handle things now in the Office of Standards. So 
I'm going to tell you information about what's happening at the state level and what has happened for the last three years. Keep in mind that there are new things coming and stay tuned for additional information. As soon as we get that, you can access us at Legal One. To, we can give you information on that. The first piece, and this is very important in the new law, every school district has to file a report with the coordinator every three years. It's on the CUSAC cycle. So if you're in the Quality Single Accountability Continuum program, if it's your year to do CUSAC, to basically state monitoring, it's also your year to file your report on gifted and talented education. Now, that report includes the district gifted and talented services you provide and your policies and procedures. It also includes, and this is important from the perspective of equity in gifted programming, you must include the number of students receiving gifted and talented services at each grade level, disaggregated by race, gender, special education, and English language learners. So you're giving demographic information regarding your gifted and talented program to the state once every three years. This report, which will include some other things we'll talk about shortly, has really been the piece that has piqued interest in gifted and talented education because now districts have to tell the state what they're doing. And if you have to sign off on what you're doing, then you need to be able to know what you're doing and hopefully have a good program in place. The report also has to include the professional development opportunities that you provide staff in gifted and talented education. That would be not just for the teachers of gifted students, but also the regular education students who have gifted students in their classroom. Just as we have special education students who are inclusively mainstreamed into regular ed classes and the regular ed teachers need to understand how to best serve those students, the same is true for teachers of regular ed who have gifted students in their classroom. The district also has to identify the number of employed staff identifying and providing services to GNT students. How many people do you have doing this work? It needs to set forth the complaint process that is set in the gifted and talented policy, how that goes from to the Board of Education and to the commissioner. Now, the complaint process is not new because anytime there is any board action, when parents maybe weren't happy with the program the child was getting, went to the principal, went to the superintendent, and then went to the board and the board said no, there was always an ability to appeal that to the commissioner of education. What this statute now does is says, yes, we will tell you this is the process and you have to post that on your website so people can see what that process is in case they have a complaint. When you look at students in gifted and talented education, that appeal process really can take three ways. One is what I just outlined to the commissioner. The second one is if you have a student who is of a protected class, you might have a law against discrimination issue and that might go through the Office of Civil Rights. That's another avenue for appeal. And the third one is we do have students who are deemed twice gifted. They are special education students who are also deemed gifted and talented in a particular area. That might be something to go through the due process, special education process, to include some gifted education programming within the IEP for those individual students. There's a lot going on. But the bottom line is those complaint processes must now be set forth on the website as well. So a lot of work at the local district level over the last three years. Now, the first report was due October 1, 2020. Remember, the law became effective July 1, 2020. 
There was a broadcast email sent out in 2021 reminding the QSAC cohort people for that year to report their gifted stuff. And for 2022-2023, in October of 2022, the QSAC cohort one got a gifted and talented report reminder. So those basically a third of the districts in the state each year have been getting those that information on a regular basis to report that to the state. One of the interesting questions that has popped up and really hasn't been answered yet is for as much good work as the department has been doing over the last three years, we really haven't heard anything about the data. Three years worth of data has come in to talk about programming in districts, talk about the equitable nature of programming, talk about the demographic breakdowns, and the department has that data. So far, that data has not been made public. So far, that data has not been shared with other individuals. It would seem to me that and this is a Mike Kelber opinion only, that the logical extension of this would be to take that data and do something with it. If we're seeing programs that are really good, identify them. If we're seeing programs that aren't so good, give them the means and the ability to make them better and identify where that needs to be done. That has not yet occurred, but it may be hopefully in the future. The department created with the new law, an internal committee. There is a strengthening gifted and talented education advisory committee that was developed and started in April, 2020. And the committee, and hopefully that committee will continue with the move to a different department in DOE. It was to assist the department in developing and disseminating resources that will guide local efforts to implement fair and balanced selection processes for the identification of gifted and talented students. It was to help understand the interaction between social and emotional learning and the needs of gifted students. And there is a strong connection there. To build awareness about programmatic options for gifted and twice exceptional students. We mentioned the twice exceptionals, the two E's, kids who have a disability of some sort, but are also gifted in a particular content area. To identify equity issues pertaining to gifted education. Depending on the community in which you live, Equitable identification can take on different forms. If you're in a district, I live in a district in Woodbridge, in, in Woodbridge Township in Middlesex County, we have a very diverse community, a lot of different ethnic groups. And so when you look at the demographics of our gifted programming throughout the district, does it match up with the percentages? Or is it close or is it proportional? If you're a community that is homogeneous, if you have a community that's all white, all black, all Asian, all Hispanic, then your equity issues are a little bit different because all of your kids basically are the same. So it's not like you're breaking them down by the demographic structure that this report requires, but you need to take a look at that as well. You also have to indicate what professional development you're doing and what you're doing towards certification and provide input to the department for the act. They have five different advisory committees populated by a number of professionals in the gifted education field. A large number are individuals with whom I've had the pleasure to work with the New Jersey Association of Gifted Children. NJPSA has a member on these committees. Jenny Lamont is one of the our member on the uh, advisory committee subcommittees. So she is in that process as well, providing input for NJPSA. The five committees are strengthening gifted educational implementation, professional development, identification, programming services and options, and the intersectionality of cognitive and effective needs. So each of those committees have been meeting on a regular basis. Each has been provided the Department of Education with additional information. 
Many of them have been involved in the Department of Education Professional Development Programming. So a lot of very good work has been done over the last three years. And the key now is to determine where we go from here. Taking a step away from the new law for a moment and going back to another area where we, we see discussions about gifted ed, I'd like to touch for a minute about the federal level, the federal government level. Where is gifted there? Is it a part of what we see from Congress? Is it a federal law? How does, how does that all work? Well, there is, if you remember your civics lessons from high school, that any power that is not specifically reserved to the states is something the federal government have. Education is typically a state level issue. Now, where the federal government gets involved in education is typically with respect to money and particularly with respect to the Title I programs and Title II, Title III, et cetera, under the Elementary and Secondary Education Act and its progeny down the road. We started with the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965. Do you remember it was Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty in the Great Society? Bill Clinton reauthorized it as the Improving America's School Act in 1994. George Bush reauthorized it in 2001 with No Child Left Behind. And Barack Obama's version is the Every Student Succeeds Act, which came into effect in 2015. So on the federal level, what do we talk about in gifted education? One of the key areas is that since 1988, there has been the Jacob Javits Gifted and Talented Students Education Program which provides grant funds for model programs and strategies for identifying and serving students typically underrepresented in gifted and talented programs, minorities, economically disadvantaged, English language learners, and students with disabilities. If you think about going all the way back to Lyndon Johnson and the war on poverty and the focus on economic disadvantage, it makes sense that we're looking at these particular community groups and kids who aren't typically selected in the GNT programs. Now, a lot of individuals and agencies can apply for these grants. There are approximately 12 to $14 million per year in grants, research awards, new awards, et cetera. In 2022, there was $14,500,000 in grants that were available. The recipients are mostly colleges and universities that do research, but not all. And I make the point that these are available People can access the reports, they can access the information. $14.5 million is a lot of money, but in the overall scheme of things, on the federal level, on the state level, it's not really that much when it comes to funding education. And none of it goes directly to schools. It goes to groups who are doing research and developing model programs, which ultimately can assist. The program also funds the National Center for Research on Gifted Ed and the University of Connecticut. So that's another aspect of the Jacob Javits program. In New Jersey, in terms of what does the federal law have? Well, we're talking about our title monies. We're talking about Title I, Title II, Title III. And for the first time in the Every Student Succeeds Act, the words gifted and talented students are actually mentioned in the federal law. For Title I monies, that districts get based on, as many of you already know, the number of free and reduced lunch students that you have. It's for economically disadvantaged students primarily. New Jersey gets $388 million this year in Title I federal aid. Now, who gets it? Depends where you are. If you're a relatively affluent district, you probably don't get a lot of Title I aid. If you're a relatively poor district, you probably get a lot of Title I aid. Now, that money specifically in the law 
may be used, may, so it's a local decision, may be used to assist schools in identifying and serving gifted and talented students, among others. The others include economically disadvantaged students with disabilities, English learners, and gifted and talented students. But it's in there, specifically in there, that you can use your Title I monies for gifted students locally. So that's something that a lot of people don't know. They also don't know that you can access the amount from each district on the Department of Education website. And if that's information that you want, you certainly can give me a call and I can give you the link to get to that information. Title II monies for professional development. New Jersey gets about $47.8 million in Title II federal money this year, again, distributed to districts based upon economic need. So that becomes uh, an issue in terms of accessing that money. You can use your Title II monies to assist identifying students with specific learning needs, such as gifted and talented. Again, that's in federal law. You can use it for improving equitable access to effective teachers, recruiting and retaining teachers that can be effectively working with underrepresented minority groups. The local plan for Title II monies can be used to address the learning needs of all students, including specifically gifted. And the federal law does speak to gifted specific instructional practices that you can use this money for, such as grouping, early entrance to kindergarten, enrichment acceleration, curriculum compacting, and dual and concurrent enrollment. Notice that these are may, all right? You may do that. You can, so you're competing for the same educational dollars. One piece about the Title II monies for professional development, the Department of Ed last January did a very nice program. We had people from the USDOE in talking about the use of Title II monies. And what they indicated was that the professional development monies have to be used for sustained programming, not just a standalone one day or, or short-term workshop. And they should be used to supplement and not supplant non-federal funds would otherwise be used for activities authorized under Title II. So given the fact that New Jersey does not have a specific teacher certification for gifted, any regular teaching certificate can suffice for having a person teach gifted education. There are a number of certificate programs that colleges around the state offer. Rutgers, Montclair State, Ryder, they have programming that will give a certificate program, usually about nine to 15 credit hours of uh, background and experience in gifted ed. It is not teacher certification, but it is a certificate indicating that you've gone through a course of study. Since that is not required, it seems to me this is supplement, not supplant, and you would be able to use your Title II monies for payment for those particular programs. The Title II funds can also be used for improving Algebra One instruction, for the K-3 literacy initiative, for DOE's data literacy, and the New Jersey tiered system of support. All of those items speak to inclusively gifted and talented students, so they can be used for all of those areas. Let's get back to the state of New Jersey, and let's talk about where funding for gifted and talented education comes from. The simple answer is, it's kind of like Prego spaghetti sauce. It's in there. It's in the regular school funding scheme. Under the School Funding Reform Act of 2008, the key distribution of state aid to local districts is equalization aid. There is an adequacy budget, which is an artificial budget for the determination of state aid only. It allocates a certain amount of money to each student and you count them up in your district. You get a dollar amount and also adds in at-risk special ed, bilingual, transportation, et cetera. You get this big number for an adequacy budget. 
your local share and what the state thinks you can raise is half based on property values and half based on local income as per New Jersey tax returns. And then the difference is equalization aid. So if you're a relatively affluent district, you don't get a lot of equalization aid. If you are a relatively poor district, you get a lot of equalization aid and gifted is in there. It's in there in the general state aid formula. It is not a separate categorical aid. So when people say we don't get any money for gifted, that's not exactly true. We don't get any money specifically designated towards gifted, but whatever we get from the state that's designated towards all educational programming of which gifted is a part. So the good news is gifted is part of a thorough and efficient education program in New Jersey. It's constitutionally guaranteed. That's terrific. The not so good news is we're competing for the same educational dollar for every other program in your district. So local education in terms of educating folks within your district in terms of what gifted education is and how important it is and what you should be doing really becomes a local lobbying effort for everyone involved in gifted ed. So we've already talked about the definition of gifted students. I just want to make the point that that local norm we are comparing with chronological peers in the local school districts has been there since 2006 in administrative code. Why is it getting heightened awareness right now? Because people have to file stuff with the state under the new law. And that really has triggered a much greater focus in terms of gifted education and what gifted students would be. We talked about, again, identification, ongoing K-12. to That's not new. That was in the administrative code. It's now in the law. Multiple measures have to be used. You can't just do one test. What your multiple measures are is really up to what you decide to do with the local district. There's a lot of tests out there that people talk about, particularly in areas where you have students of multiple language. It may not be fluent in English speaking, you need to use some other kind of programming to test for giftedness, but that's something that we will talk about a little bit more. You're also going to provide appropriate adaptations K to 12. You develop curricular instructional modifications to the New Jersey student standards standards, but there's no state specific content or curriculum standard. It's all local school policy and curriculum. So as long as you have something, you're okay. We talked about consideration of the National Association of Gifted Children's Standards. That goes back to 2006 as a requirement for local districts. You should be continuing to actively assist and support professional development. But again, there's no, throughout the commissioner case law, there's no New Jersey law or regulation which prescribes the substantive content of a GNT program. So what happens? I'm going to give you a pause for a minute and just say, okay, let's think about what happens. Somebody challenges our program. You're an educator, you've been working hard. Should I be concerned if maybe we're not doing as well as our neighbors? Here's the key. If you get challenged and it goes to the commissioner, if your policies and procedures are clear, if you're consistent with the DOE policies on identification with K to 12 and multiple measures and all we've talked about, if your selection process is clearly set forth, there's a rational basis, it's correctly and consistently applied, usually you win as the district. That makes administrators happy. It doesn't necessarily make parents happy because parents want a better program. They want better programs for everything as any parent would, as any grandparent. I'm a grandparent of six. You want the best for your grandkids. You want your best for your kids. And so it's not unlike a special education analysis. There's going to be a program. There's going to be it, but it may not be the one you're looking for, but that is good enough in terms of that challenge. In equity, 
couple of points in the equality in school and classroom practices code. There was a specific provision saying that districts should be looking at preventing the underrepresentation of minority female and male students in all classes and programs, including gifted. And one of the best ways you can do this is the use of universal assessments, including K to three that has been proven to show the potential for the best finding kids who traditionally may go unnoticed. The comprehensive equity plan that many districts are filling out this year is a great opportunity to address equity in your gifted programming. I call that to your attention as well. In the bilingual code, districts are to have additional programs and services to meet the special needs of English language learners, including gifted and talented services. So the bilingual code has traditionally said you need to be doing something for gifted kids. And in 2017, we saw a piece of legislation come into play that required the commissioner to develop guidance on identifying at least language learners for gifted and talented programs. That piece of legislation, chapter 171, the public laws of 2017, codified at 18A35-26.1, basically goes through a process to assist districts in identifying ELL students in K-12 who are gifted and talented to match them with programs that will help them achieve in accordance with their full capabilities. So other legislation has addressed the English language learners and bilingual. Talked about the equity aspect of things. I wanna make one other point here before we wind this up. Where's the accountability? Where, how, does, how, do pay, how does the department, how does the state, how do people make sure that districts are doing what they're supposed to be doing? Well, we go back to the New Jersey Quality Single Accountability Continuum, New Jersey QSEC, and we know it's a three-year process for review. What has happened in QSEC, there were 2018 revisions to the QSEC Accountability Continuum Behavioral Objectives. In the instruction and program area, for each district performance review indicator, for each content area, English and language arts, mathematics, science, social studies, world languages, health and physical ed, visual and performing arts. Each of them has four points towards your 100-point QSAC total. That's 28 QSAC points total. And each of those, the district has to sign off on that they are providing, and this is a quote from the QSAC model, integrated accommodations and modifications for students with IEPs, 504s, ELLs, and gifted and talented students. So the administrators that sign off on your QSAC submission have to sign off and verify that they are in fact providing accommodations and modifications for gifted and talented students in each of the seven content areas that gets measured under QSAC. Also new as of 2021, in the operations section, there is an indicator, a three-point indicator that indicates that you have to sign off on saying that the district has policies and procedures that require the use of multiple sources of data to monitor student achievement and progress and to evaluate the effectiveness of programs, initiatives, and strategies. That's three points. That's covered by what? By submitting your report, number one, by having your complaint policy on the homepage, by having detailed information regarding policy procedures, by having uh, being compliant with the requirements of the Strengthening Gifted and Talented Act, you need to do all that to get the three points that you need. The department will provide data regarding the district submission of the report, and the district website has to contain all those items we talked about for you to get your points there within QSAC. So there is accountability, there is review. 
we're in the beginning stages of going through that with districts. We're through the first rounds of cohorts. So we'll see how that plays out in local districts and see what the county office does. Last item for me on here today, we, I mentioned this earlier, and it's important to point this out, that there is no certification in New Jersey for teachers of gifted and talented. Other states do have certification programs where you have to get a particular certificate to teach gifted and ed and talented. That's not what we have in New Jersey, but professional development really becomes the key. Whether you get your professional development through Legal One and the programming we do through the NJAGC, New Jersey Association for Gifted Children, what they do, or through um, various colleges that have certificate programs like Rutgers or Montclair State or Ryder. Any of those have very not good programs that will educate teachers and give them an understanding of, of what gifted education needs and requires. And essentially, they get to know what they don't know and get to grow from that. I will tell you that some of the better programs we've heard people talk about generally have sent their teachers using professional development money to some of these programs in order to better what they do. So in conclusion, there's still a lot of work to be done, but there is a sound structure underpinning gifted education in New Jersey. I encourage you to continue to solicit programming. We have a, a legal one seminar that we do with a four day seminar. We're coming up on the fourth day in April where we're going to focus on K-2 and high school gifted programming. So if you're interested in that, I certainly call your attention to that as well. And you can get the other aspects of the programming through on-demand services. And with that, I'm going to wind up this particular podcast. I thank you for your attention. Again, this is Mike Kelber, the coordinator for online course development at Legal One. And thank you for listening and look forward to seeing you in future Legal One podcasts. For additional information on gifted and talented and other legal issues, I'd like to refer you to the Legal One website, which is at www.njpsa.org slash Legal One NJ. That's all one word. You can access our learning catalog and other information that we have there, and, and particularly for this podcast, Legal uh, for Gifted and Talented, but all other work that we do as well. With that, this is Mike Kelber, the Legal One Coordinator for Online Course Development. I thank you for being a part of today's Legal One podcast, and I look forward to hearing from you in future programming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj. 